so yeah, we are going through a new series um, this, um, through this season of Lent. And it's called Out of the Darkness, um, with a little tagline, God's Relentless Freedom, um, and discovering that freedom of God. And just like um, Derek said, we really want this to be an intentional time. We don't want this just to be another holiday. Um, we don't want. We want this to to carry meaning that it has carried throughout the years. Um, and so, through this series, we're going to kind of discover that and really um, understand what the resurrection means for us and how God has intended to bring us out of the darkness with him and his plan for that. So yeah, this, this might be a time for you to rediscover that. This might be a time for you to recommit to the one who has um, brought us to freedom. And also some of us might uh, need to realign with what God is doing in this world. So to kind of start off um, with this whole series, I kind of want to like understand what like darkness is, what like what we're actually coming out of, and I really just want to un like unpack what just darkness is in reality when we experience it. And so, um, one thing that's pretty simple is that we just can't see darkness. There's a lack of light, and so we the light doesn't come to our eyes uh, as much, and so we don't actually see um, really what we should see. Darkness is um, the removal of light, the absence of light. Um, and with that comes a sense of hiddenness and uncertainty. We can't see everything, and we can't see everything well, and so things can be easily hidden, and that creates kind of a sense of uncertainty. And then this uncertainty creates fear in us. We don't know what's coming. We don't know how to prepare for it. And so darkness eventually creates fear in us. And so really, in, in, a, in a real physical sense, darkness prevents us from living fully. Darkness prevents us from living the optimal life. Um, and this is very similar to how we relate to God. And that darkness is the absence of God. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about today is that the absence of God in reality is the absence of living fully, living rightly, living correctly. And for many of us, darkness manifests in many different ways. Um, darkness happens around us. People getting sick. I had to think of the coronavirus that's like everywhere now. It started off as like, oh yeah, it's in China, and now it's like, I heard Megan said there was someone who had a weird case of it in Altoona. And so it's just, it's darkness. Another would be just marriages crumbling. This sacred bond between people just diminishes before us. Loved ones dying. When life leaves a person, it's, it's dark, it's gloomy, it's uncertain. And also children learning to hate so young. I think of the, uh, the kid who was shot just, 
just really right down the street. And how this darkness pervades even the youth, the young generation. There's probably even darkness against us. Abandonment, things that have happened to us that we really can't control. Betrayal, when people, friends, do things unexpectedly that hurt us. Confusion, I know for myself that's something that happens a lot. Confusion, not understanding how things fit together. Mistrust in relationships. And finally, there's, and many of us know this, there's darkness in us, inside of us, how we think, how we operate. We become quick to anger. The envy of a lover. And really the root of all of this, the, the disbelief of God. These are all, this is all darkness, this is all the absence of God and the good God. So really, darkness is a deviation from proper design, deviation from how God designed us to live. And when we don't live, when we live in this darkness, we live outside of God's desires, we live outside of who God is and who he designed us to be. And so as we read Exodus, I want to go through three things. I want, to, I want us to discover where this darkness actually comes from. I want us to understand what God desires, or what God's going to do about this absence of himself in this world. And then also, what does that mean for us today? What, what do we do because of this? And I want to do something a little bit different today. Um, with our prayer and reading. So we went to Jubilee, I think it was last weekend. Uh, awesome experience, it's my first time. But one of the things that I really, really, really enjoyed about it, it was, there were, we were, were taking some things from the past and our tradition, but we're also like looking to the future and how even our jobs and working in the world can actually impact God's kingdom. It was really, really a good time. But one of, one of the things that, the specific practice that we did was actually reading a prayer, a lot like all of us reading a prayer, a written down prayer. Um, and so today that's what I would like for us to do to kind of start our time. I don't, I don't wanna pray. I would like all of us to pray together and I thought that this would be fitting for the Lent season that we would be united in this narrative together. And I think that's what was really important in Jubilee is that we were not only hearing this narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, but we were actually speaking it together. We were all a part of that narrative. So I'd like us for us to uh, pray together this morning. Dear God, in this season of Lent, we're reminded of our own difficulties and struggles. Sometimes the way has seemed too dark. Sometimes we feel like our lives have been marked by such grief and pain. We don't see how our circumstance can ever change. But in the midst of our weakness, we ask that you would be strong on our behalf. Lord, rise up within us. 
Let your spirit shine out of every broken place we've walked through. Allow your power to be manifest through our own weakness so that others will recognize it, you who is at work on our behalf. We ask that you would trade the ashes of our lives for the beauty of your presence. Trade our mourning and grief for the oil of joy and gladness from your spirit. Trade our despair for hope and praise. We choose to give you thanks today and believe that the season of darkness will fade away. Thank you that you are with us in whatever we face and that you are greater than this trial. We know and recognize that you are sovereign. We thank you for the victory that is ours because of Christ Jesus and we are confident that you have good still in store for our future. We thank you that you are at work right now, trading our ashes for greater beauty. We praise you, for you make all things new. Amen. And I didn't write that, by the way. I don't. I will not take credit for that. Um, I got it off of uh, the internet for some Lent prayers. So I'm going to read our passage today, which is in Exodus one. Now I have a slightly different translation, so. Uh, One through 14. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So we start out with Israel flourishing. And um, I mean, I can just imagine, I mean, they're just, making babies left and right. Um, They're strong and prosperous and living out this promise of God. And really, if we kind of look at the beginning of this, we see the creation mandate really being uh, manifest before them, which is be fruitful and multiply. They were obeying God. They were having a good time. And 
they were able to reproduce the image of God. As you see, the generation before had died, but they, yet they still were living out that promise. And so I actually, I want to look at Joseph, because he was kind of the, um, the beginning of this revelation of God that came to him and through the people of Israel. Um, and that's what kind of starts Exodus. And so, um, kind of um, reverse here to Joseph. So I'll kind of give a quick synopsis of Joseph's life. So he basically got thrown in a hole. His brothers like were really jealous of him. He got thrown in a hole, um, ran away naked from a lustful woman. Um, that was uh, one of the things that happened. Uh, he got put in jail for running, running away naked. And the Pharaoh's bartender forgot to bail him out. And he eventually became the second hand to Pharaoh. It's a great story. Um, really, uh, you should definitely check it out and read that. Uh, because it, it expresses the revelation of God that began this Exodus story. And it, it concludes this narrative of Genesis perfectly. And I want us to read it here. Um, it's right on, just right to the left of Exodus 1 here. And we'll start at uh, verse 15. And to kind of put some background uh, context to this, Basically, Joseph has reconciled with his brothers, but his brothers are, they're a little afraid. They're afraid, they're still afraid of what um, Joseph could do to them because he is still in power. So, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, This is, this is great. Behold, we are, whoops, sorry, do not fear, for I am in the, am, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the revelation of God's character that begins the Exodus story. That this key part that a, that a holy and good God, Joseph knew this God, that even that evil that in darkness that was afflicted against him could still be good, used for good, for God's good and God's glory. And so this radically changes the Israelites. This radically changes um, their position towards God. There's a God that's not, no longer absent from them, but he's close. He's someone that is not only in the good of things, but also in the evil, in the dark. And um, 
when we see in the in uh, in the Exodus, in the beginning of this Exodus story, Pharaoh, it says that Pharaoh actually didn't know Joseph. Pharaoh didn't know Joseph. Pharaoh didn't know necessarily the God of Joseph, and so this revelation of who God is is not known to Pharaoh. And in fact, um, this, his, Joseph's faith actually threatens Pharaoh, threatens his kingdom, his wealth, his resources, and even his power against some of the enemies around him. And so this Pharaoh was living in darkness. He was living out of this absence of God. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about how my kingdom was threatened. Um, so recently, uh, I've been noticing that like, well actually me and Abby Smith were going through this book called Disruptive Discipleship and basically the idea is that you will create experiences that will reveal a part of your character that's not aligned with God. It'll reveal absences of God in your life. And so, me and Abby were sitting down and she was kind of coaching me actually through, um, I had coached her the week before and so she was coaching me through one of these dis uh, disruptive experiences. And so we had gone through, I can't remember the exact verse, but it was um, the great, the Good Samaritan story. And so we went through that, and she was like, so what was God speaking to you through that? And I was like, honestly, I think that if I were to go walk by that person, that I would see it as an inconvenience to me. That I would see it as taking up my time. I gotta go somewhere. This is... Um, this, this was not a part of my schedule. <laughs> as, as a little boy, I would, my mom would buy me schedules because I would just, I would love to know exactly what was going on during the day. And so this really, this goes against kind of um, how, I, how I was brought up and how I, how I think about time, really. And so we were kind of talking and I, and I realized that my leisure time my time that was for me, if anyone were to try to invade that time or take that time from me, I would get irritated. And I knew that this was a thing, but I, I was like, I'll, I'll get to that some, someday. But I realized that, like, even if my mom were to ask me, hey, can you get the, uh, the uh, sweeper? I guess some people call it sweeper. The vacuum downstairs and I'd be doing something and I would like there would something would happen in me like a like an irritation like this is my time and so I realized that this was a this was threatening my kingdom that I I had some sort of idea of this time that it was mine and that God was absent and how I looked at time And so, kind of while, we're, while I'm speaking here, what, what threatens your kingdom? What threatens the kingdom of your heart? What happens when, 
when something good or something right comes your way and you almost kind of, something happens inside you, there's like a, a twitch, an irritation. We also have kind of the other side of the story here, which is the Israelites. And this is, I think we've all kind of placed ourselves in the Israelites' position. That we're like these souls that are oppressed and really controlled by the sin, the sinful nature, this Pharaoh of our life. But I think we actually kind of lose a little bit of the gospel message if we only interpret it this way, if we only place ourselves in the place of the Israelites. When we see Israel, and all throughout Scripture we see this, that Israel is this remnant of God's image. Israel is this, it is, man, everything's messed up, but God has chosen this one people to bring about his, his plan to restore not only creation, but the created beings that he has, us. And so, really, in this, throughout the Exodus story, God desires the Israelites to come out of Egypt. This is not the land that he wants them to be in. And so this remnant, this remnant, actually, this story can represent and does, in a sense, that we ourselves, all of us, have a remnant of who God is in us. And that just like with the Israelites, he wants to create a new kingdom, a new kingdom of his people. In the same way, he desires to make a new creation out of us. But yet we, we rebel against him. We hint, hint, harden our hearts towards him and towards his will. And if we're honest, sometimes his word and what the Holy Spirit speaks to us threatens us. It threatens something that we're holding on to that's not fully his, that's been abs that is an absence of God. And so, to say this and to kind of compare the, the, the Israelites and Egypt to our experience with God, if the Israelites represent the remnants of, of God's image, of God's people and how he is expressed in the world, then Pharaoh represents the absence of God's desires in us. And I think it's very plain to us, and this is fitting for the Lent season, that Jesus in the wilderness expresses really the three main areas that we feel threatened by God. And when he is an absent, it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These are all areas in which the darkness comes from, where God is absent. So when we interpret Israel's story in this way, it brings light the magnificent part
part of the entire Exodus story, which is the baptism at the Red Sea. It makes so much more sense this way that God was cleansing his people. God was making a new creation. God was, was bringing out of what was a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of oppression and sin. He was bringing out a new creation, a new people, a new nation that he was to bring the promise through And so when we are when we're when we're baptized with Christ we're actually we're proclaiming something in that we're proclaiming that this old pharaoh self is dying we're proclaiming that we see God creating a new creation out of us a new nation in our heart a new image. And we are proclaiming that the absence of God no longer resides in us, that this dominion of Pharaoh in our hearts, our hearts against God, our hearts in absence towards him, is, is no longer the one in control, is no longer the ruler. For when the Israelites came out of um, the Red Sea, they were, they were being made into a new nation under God as the ruler instead of Pharaoh. And so during this Lent season, it's really a celebration that God has cleansed us and preserved us and will again bring us to life in his resurrection. And more importantly, that Jesus has taken the judgment of a Pharaoh's heart and placed that on himself so that, that we would be alive and made new into a new creation. And that's what the baptism expresses, that Jesus himself died and rose again and that we can take part in that in cleansing of our of ourselves and coming to new life as we come out of the water. And so, what does this look like? So we know that God has this redemptive plan in Jesus. What does this mean for us now? Well, for me, every time that someone attempts to interrupt my time I actually vocalize and I say, I commit to being interrupted and I will fully give my attention to this person. Because I really believe that my time is more valuable for someone else than myself and to God. That is recognizing that the Pharaoh of my heart is threatened and that I want him to die. I want him to wash away with Christ. And I want God to be glorified in that. Maybe it means driving the actual speed limit for the entire time that you're in the car because you are really not that important in that, well, more important than you, than you think you are and that you're actually 
kind of in a way practicing the omniscience of God that you can be everywhere and every time, which is the absence of God in your life. Maybe it's turning off the electronics for the entire weekend. Because you, the absence of God in your life is that you don't have an intimate relationship with the people that are really, really, really close to your family. This, one, this one's probably going to hurt. Deleting a social media account. Because in the absence of God, you don't think you're significant enough. And so you have, you have to have hundreds and thousands of eyes on you instead of one that actually matters. And when we begin to live this out, when we begin to recognize where we're threatened and surrender and walk towards the God of the new creation in us, we actually begin to fulfill, sometimes even without recognizing it, the creation mandate that we would begin to multiply other people, that we would begin to disciple people through our life. That's what God desires, is that his image would be multiplied in other people through our death with him. So we actually, when we begin to do this, step by step, we begin to participate in reclaiming his image on earth. We, we participate in God's divine intervention in this world. That his, he desires his image to be in full and that there be no absence of him because he really actually desires his presence with us. I know it may seem in this world that we're like really far from him, but he, his whole plan, this whole purpose is to be with us and us with him. That his, that's his glory. That we would surrender and really worship him and be with him. And so um, Pete can come back up to the piano for the last song. What can you do today? Like what's, what's your response? to God's absence in your life in faith that he is making you new and he is bringing more of his presence in your life. For those of you that follow Jesus, I really, really urge you to participate in this practice with us, with the Lent, um, um, Lent practice cards that you begin to abstain from something, that you would let something die in your life and reclaim God's presence in that area. That's really what, what this is, is that we would abstain from something and engage with God. That we would let the Pharaoh die in our hearts, that, that the Pharaoh's kingdom of our heart would die and that God would reclaim his, his part in us. And for those of you who don't follow Jesus this morning, I implore you that this morning you've heard, you've heard the gospel, that God desires to be with you, and that King Jesus would, wants you to surrender to him. 
King Jesus wants you to realize that he is the ruler over your heart, not you. And that he has paid the price of you through your life, living into an absence of God. He's paid that. And so we'll have a space over here for anyone who wants to respond, um, who doesn't who d- doesn't know Jesus. And um, honestly, if anyone wants to just come up to the altar this morning, and if there's any part of you this morning that feels threatened by by what God by not that God is necessarily threatening you, but that you feel threatened by what God desires and His will on this earth. And you could also get prayer from Justin as well. Um, so I'll just close in prayer. We can all stand. Lord, we pray this morning that the hope that you desire to be with us, Emmanuel, you desire to come with us, this whole story of your creation, you desire to be with us, God. us the way. You've expressed from the ancient days that the absence of God in our life has to die so that you can make us into a new creation, Lord. A creation where you are the father of our souls, the king of our souls, God.